the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Southern California Live on a Monday afternoon. It's 4 o'clock in Southern California. I'm Bob Lapine. Thanks for tuning in this afternoon. I was was in Nashville last week for a gathering of broadcasters. The National Religious Broadcasters Annual Convention was there. A number of fellow broadcasters out for this four-day event and... uh, we had a chance to to meet to to talk about all that's going on, and uh, I, I had while I was there, I had the opportunity to sit down with a, a fellow broadcaster who is also an author. Uh, you may know him. His name is Brant Hansen. Brant has a syndicated show called the Brant Hansen Show. It's uh, it, it features contemporary Christian music as well as Brant's own blend of <laughs> humor. Uh, he, he's, he's, a, uh, he's, he's a great guy. He's written uh, a number of books. One is called Blessed Are the Misfits, great news for believers who feel or who are introverts, spiritual strugglers, or just feel like they're missing something. Wrote a book called Unoffendable, How Just One Change Can Make All of Us, All of Life Better. Wrote a book called The Truth About Us, and his latest book, which comes out in two weeks, you can pre-order it now on Amazon, it's a book called The Men We Need, God's Purpose for the Manly Man, the Avid Endorsement, or Any Man Willing to Show Up. So we we talked about the book, we talked about the what we've talked about some here on this program before, the 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 issue of toxic masculinity, is that a real deal? What does that look like? What does that mean? What does it mean for a man to be a man? How do we help boys become men? What's God's design for manhood and masculinity? It's what Brandt addresses in this book, The Men We Need, which again is going to be out in a few weeks. You can pre-order now if you'd like. It's a great book. It's it's engaging, easy to read but a lot of uh, wisdom that's packed into the pages of this book. And I thought, well, while I was there with him, I thought, I'm just going to, we we got a loan off to the side. I turned down a recorder and I said, let's have a conversation about the, the subject, about the book and about uh, what it means to be a man, a godly man by God's design. So we're going to play some of that for you this afternoon my conversation with Brant Hansen from the National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Nashville last week. Uh, here's a part of that conversation. So why why this subject? I mean, you've written on yeah. you, you, you wrote on depravity, basically. That was the last right. book was right. we're not as great as we think we are. <laughs> uh, yeah. Why why did you say let's tackle manhood? My my the producer of my radio show said I should write about this. And she is a brilliant woman. We've been working together for 10 years. You're talking about Sherry. Sherry. Yes. And she said, 
I've always discounted. I, I thought I'll never write about this because I'm not the guy. I don't climb stuff. I don't shoot stuff. I don't, there's nothing wrong with that. I don't hunt. I don't. I drive a mini. I play the fl- a mini Cooper. Yeah, I play the flute. <laughs> I uh, library. You were the library library club president <laughs> of the state of Illinois. Honestly, I thought about starting this by saying, "Let's do this whole thing." I'm, I'm going to do this. We got uh, Brant Hansen with us on the radio. You wrote this book about being men. Now you're a flute playing librarian, right? I'm a flute playing librarian. And the name Brant. That's right. Did your parents just know you weren't going to be very manly? Yeah, Brant is your name. Yeah, something like that. That's why it's so ironic because I. And yet, she comes from a family. Talk about Sherry. She's like all my family are manly, you know, the trappings of what we call manly. And she said, "But I knew as soon as I met your wife and daughter, in particular, that they felt really, really, really secure around you. Mm-hmm. I could see it. Just, I just felt it in your home. I feel it to this day." She said, "I actually had to write the foreword to explain that. Like, so here's a guy. He's just like, I know you have a puppet collection. I know you play the accordion, <laughs> but." But you should you should talk about masculinity because young guys in particular are very drawn to how you describe it. Mm-hmm. So I thought, well, I'll do it. And maybe maybe the fact that I'm not good at all that other stuff, I have neurological issues. I have, I can't see very well. Like I don't have very good balance. Um, You're a mess. I'm a mess, man. <laughs> but but here's the beauty of it. Like if I'm right about this is what actual masculinity is, it frees up everybody. Yeah. Like any guy, you could be a nerd, you could be artsy, you could be, you could be a hunter guy that can fix cars and you have awesome tattoos and stuff. Like it applies to all of us. And so maybe I am the guy to write this because you can look at me and go, well, if, if he comes off as masculine, like if he understands it and he nails it, if hopefully in my wife's opinion, I am, <laughs> uh, then, then maybe he's onto something. The, the stereotypes were all shaped by masculine stereotypes. Totally. I, I remember in the eighties when it was Rambo was the stereotype. That's yeah. what real manhood is. Yeah. And then there's the, the anti-hero man. We, and we grew up with confusion. I think all boys grow up kind of, kind of going, what does it mean to be a man? So exactly. And there's been deconstructions of this. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of them. Uh, the John Wayne and Jesus book was a bit, like a big hit, but my thing is, okay, that's fair. But what is it then? Like, it's one thing to deconstruct it, but from a Christian perspective, like who's going to say then, like, give us a vision for what we're actually supposed to do. It's just not this, not that. Don't be this. Don't be. That. Okay. Totally true. But can you give us a distinct idea of masculinity? That's not just a generic that applies to everybody equally kind of thing. Like to say you should be like Jesus. Well, that's true. Right. But that's true for women too. What is, is there an idea? Clearly God has an image of male and female. There's something different there. And there's something probably profound and beautiful. And there's probably something that begins with the original narrative. So what I'm trying to say it is, is the job that God gave Adam in the garden. And that job to tend and to keep. To tend and keep the garden. What, what, what are you, as you meditated on that, as you, as you dug into that, what popped out at you is going, this is what is, is at the core of all of this. It means to protect. It means to defend. It means to make a space. See, gardening isn't just like standing on the wall and defending from out intruders. It certainly is. And Adam failed to do that. He allowed this enemy into the garden. Right. And he stood there passively while his his wife was was arguing or, or being argued into blowing it. Right. But it's 
it's also creating a space if you're gardening for the vulnerable, for species that wouldn't exist and thrive in the wild. Uh, so you are cultivating and you're allowing these species to flourish, these things within your garden that are beautiful. I do think that's exactly what guys are called to do. Mm. And, and, and we're given gifts to do that. Our strength is for that reason, not to be a threat, but to provide security for people and make our neighborhood safer just because we're there. Like that's, that's our goal. But if, if guys aren't told that, they have no vision for what our life is supposed to be. But it's a beautiful thing. Even a little kid can catch on. I use the example of my son. He's seven years old. He was picking on my daughter, who was like four at the time. And she was like, hey, dad, like, get in here. And it wasn't anything awful, but he was he was just being a pest. Right. And I said, Justice, like, you're betraying your role here. You were supposed to defend your sister. That's why you're here. Not to be the threat. Like, you're being the guy that you're supposed to defend against. Mm -hmm. He got it. This is a seven-year-old. But even a seven-year-old, I think it resonates with the male heart so much that yeah. this role is the right one. He got it. And I'd never had a problem with him after that, picking on her, ever. Like, he understood, oh, wait, I'm supposed to defend women. Mm -hmm. But unless you're told, it doesn't just happen. And our, and our culture is not going to give us a distinct idea of masculinity. So... I thought, okay, it's worth writing about. So that that's where we're going with this. Did you grow up with a good model of this, or did you? When when you sat down to say, "I'm going to write a book called The Men We Need," and I'm going to look at masculinity, was it something that was instinctive to you, or did you have to cultivate this in your own heart? I th I, I didn't grow up with it. Okay. Something happened though when I was a freshman in college, and I mentioned this like at the outset of the book, which right. is this this poster I saw. This is the best selling poster of all time, and I saw it in every girl's room in college. Like there was a guy's house, the girl's house is a Christian thing at um, University of Illinois. But as we were touring the houses, the girls like every single room had the same poster in it. It was very strange, and I was like, "What is the deal with this poster?" It turns out it's the best selling poster of all time. It's called L'Enfant. And it's a guy, and I know he's a handsome guy, but it's it's not. He's it's a profile. He doesn't have a shirt on. He's not particularly muscular. I mean, I'm sure he's a good-looking guy, but there's a there's a billion male models out there, right? It's not Fabio. No, it's not. Yeah, right. So why did this thing take off, and it's still the best-selling poster of all time? It's because he's holding a baby, and he's holding a baby out in front of them, and the girls said, "Yeah, he's cute, but." It's the way the baby's looking at him, the way the baby's gazing up at his face, the vulnerability in the baby's eyes, and the, and the, almost an appeal, like, protect me. And you can see that. You can look it up, LaFont, and you'll see what I'm talking about. But I thought, that's interesting that women intuit, they, they, it resonates with them, this protective thing. So since then, I've spoken, like, to I speak to groups of people or whatever, at school assemblies or whatever, whatever the setting is. And I've put up slides of guys from the news. There'll just be one slide after another of somebody pulling somebody out of a ditch or here's a couple guys, you know, in a flood getting somebody into a boat. There's a guy in a helicopter rescuing somebody from a hurricane. Here's, And they're all just guys. Right. None of them are models. No, nobody looks like a nobody's Hollywood. Famous. Right. Nobody's famous. Some of them are overweight. Some of them, like, it's all different cultures and nationalities and stuff. Here's a guy in India rescuing stuff. Here's a Japanese soldier bringing an old lady up. Okay. 
at the end of showing those slides, I will ask the group, uh, hey, ladies, just curious, just for the ladies, are those guys attractive? And there's a wall of immediate, yes. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, males, listen, look, look at this. And I go back and look at the slides, like, look at these guys. Did you see the reaction of these guys? They're not handsome, particularly. Right. It doesn't matter. So there's something that women intuit. And I'm telling guys, like, it does make you more attractive to be the keeper of the garden. If a woman feels secure, she will find you more attractive. That's not the reason to buy the book. Although, you shouldn't <laughs> buy the book. And and if you, if that great, is the reason, go ahead. It's a great side benefit. Right. It is yes. a great side benefit, honestly. <laughs> but learn from the fact that women cross-culturally respect this and desire this. Like, there's something we should learn about God's design when women react this way. They intuit what we are for. Even if we don't know what we're for anymore, they do. And so that should tell us something about who we are. That's that's the idea. You, you list out six decisions. Traits, yeah, six decisions guys should guy, make, yeah. And, and these decisions are all built around, if, if we start with the premise that we're here to protect, yes. we're here to tend, to care for, yeah. to keep, then, then that ought to shape our behavior. Yeah. So lives, the lives around us should flourish. That's what, that's my job as a husband and father, my wife, my kids and radiating outward from there. Like I, whatever influence I have, this goes along with the, like advancing the kingdom of God. Like I want God's will for these people, I want God's best. And so whatever influence I have is to create that space for people to flourish and thrive. So one of the decisions I start with is, is, is huge right now. And I say, forsake the fake and relish the real. Mm -hmm. The fake stuff will leave you. If you're wondering, why do I have this sense of malaise? I'm 30 years old. I'm a guy. Like I spend all my time playing video games, and, and it's pornography, and I'm kind of a shut-in. I don't really have that. Many. Like because you're doing meaningless things. Of course, you're going to feel meaningless. But I'm trying to say to guys too, like the cultural ethos is: as long as I'm not hurting somebody else, what does it really matter? Maybe I just throw myself into a virtual world. And I'm not hurting anybody else. And I get, I get a dopamine hit from leveling up and I get, I get all my needs seemingly met. I'm not hurting anybody. I'm like, I need you to understand this. You are hurting people. Yeah. And you're hurting people because we needed you. You were supposed to protect and, and, and allow people to flourish, use the gifts you have, your purpose, but you're not doing it. We needed you to grow up. We needed you to be the man that you were made to be. So to say that you're just, well, I'm not hurting anybody. You are. And there's a, there's maybe a woman out there who could have benefited from you growing up and becoming a wonderful husband, for instance, as an example, but neighbors, uh, vulnerable people in our culture, in our world, that could have benefited from you being maximally you because of who God created you to be. So that's, that's the first decision I talk a lot about because that is such a huge issue right now for guys, particularly. And and I've said for years that guys are not going to play long at a game that they can't compete well or yes, win at. Yes, that's a great point. And so if you go out and you play golf the first couple of times and you go, I'm just not any good at this. The next time somebody says, you want to go play golf? It's the, no, right. I want to play the sport I'm, I can win at. Right. And I think guys in, in life look around and go, this role I'm supposed to play, I, I, I can't win at this, but I can go down in the basement and yes. fire up the Xbox. And in my mind, I, I'm winning. I can get to level seven. Yes. And you get the same like feeling of accomplishment. Right. It pays off. 
Same thing with like these women. You get the you get the sexual thrill, the from, but they're not real. Right. It's fake. So what I'm saying too is yes, it's hard, but I try to appeal to on that level. I talk about this in the book. I try to appeal to the idea that you know you want to be brave. We all want to be brave at the, at the deepest level. Well, guess what requires bravery? The real world in relationships that are messy, things that we don't seem to be succeeding at, but we just keep showing up loyally, faithfully doing it. That is bravery. I respect it. So much respect to you if you don't feel like you're leveling up in the world, but you're still continuing to show up to be faithful to God and to other people. Like, so there's a certain sort of bravery that goes with relationships, but guys will check out of it because of what you're saying. I'm not good at this. Right. I only want to do the things I'm good at. I got it. I understand that. But here's the other thing with regard to like relishing the real instead of the fake. If you want to grow up and become who we needed you to be, mm-hmm. real relationships will make you do that. Yes. A fake woman will not. Right. So your fantasies will not call you out to be a man. She will not challenge you. I, I shouldn't say she. It's an it. Right. It's an image. Um, that life your pornography or whatever is not going to, it's not going to cause you to grow up, but a real woman will, as you know, you've been married a long time. Same with me. Like my wife is brilliant. We have a great marriage, but it's, it's always a challenge. It's a continual maturation because she's calling me out to be a man. Yeah. So it's a struggle. We, We gravitate toward the image because, because there is this quick promise of, um, that the woman in the pornography is looking like she thinks I, I'm special uh-huh. in that picture or uh-huh. the, the video game, I'm winning the video game. We, we gravitate toward that because there is something desperate inside of us that we do want to win. Absolutely. We, but, but that, when we keep going to that as the source, our soul shrinks, don't it, you think? It, it's a, it is a sucker punch. Mm-hmm. But that's the way, like, the enemy has always worked. Like, it's, it's something that looks almost like the real thing. And then it leaves you alone. This is a way. If you want to give in to this short term, and I understand the dry, I love video games. I could sit and play for 16 hours and not realize the sun has gone down. I haven't even been to the bathroom for 16 Like It doesn't even matter. I understand. And I've even, I'm even coming at this. I'm trying to tell guys, like, I feel sorry for us. It has not been like this for any other generation of men in the history of humankind yeah. to have this to short circuit us. Like, it's not supposed to be this hard. This is what we have. I understand that. All of that's understood. But we don't want to emerge at 70 or 80 years old and look back at our lives, do we? And just say, I, everything was virtual. I didn't actually have any real adventures. I didn't actually... Because you're going to wind it by yourself. That, that is the way the enemy works. It's always a fake of something that was God-created. The enemy can never create anything good. It's always a mockery. And it looks like the real thing. It feels like the real thing. It pays off in your brain like dopamine, like the real thing that you get the hit in a sense of accomplishment. But nothing got accomplished, and now you wind up by yourself. That's hell. Like, that is that is the enemy's trajectory. Yeah. Is you by yourself isolated. Yeah. It, it sounds like you're saying, guys, we need to man up. And yet, even in saying that, there's something that you kind of, you recoil when you hear that. I do. And I thank you. You're so perceptive on that because you can say, Hey guys, man up. You need to man up. Like, what does that mean? If you don't have a specific idea. Right. So what I'm trying to say in the book is like, look, 
we, we had this puzzle box and we've got all the puzzles, the little pieces in there. And some of the pieces are man up or fix your motorcycle or whatever, whatever it is. Right. I'm saying the box top. I'm trying to give you a box top of what it's supposed to look like. And that is the keeper of the garden. Mm-hmm. That is actually manning up. Mm-hmm. But it's not necessarily going to look like what, when you say man up, or, come on, guys, stand up, take a stand. Like, to 100 different guys, that might mean 90 different things. It's a brave heart face paint. It's yeah. not. Right. Yeah, right. Freedom. <laughs> but there's an, there's an element to it that right. gets at that. Right, yeah. Because you're defending something. Like, but, but this keeper of the garden thing, again, is, is not just a show of... Of power. Literally, if I'm if I'm using whatever strength I have to make tiny, vulnerable things flourish, like little children, or I'm, this is why you tell your sons, you know, you can't be cruel to this animal. Like you're here to protect this. Like that's a good thing to have a pet for that reason. You get something even more vulnerable than the kid right. in the house. Right. You could hurt it, but you're not going to because you're supposed to protect it. So, finally, having that vision, I think, would be really helpful for guys. We are listening back to a, a portion of a conversation I had just recently with Brant Hansen, the author of a new book called The Men We Need, God's Purpose for the Manly Man, the Avid Endorsman, or Any Man Willing to Show Up. Uh, fascinating book, fascinating conversation. We're going to hear more of the interview. Part two comes up in just a minute as your Monday edition of Southern California Live continues. Southern California Live on KKLA and KPRZ. I'm Bob Lapine on a Monday afternoon. We are listening back this afternoon to a conversation I had just a few days ago with Brant Hansen, who is the host of the Brant Hansen Show, heard on about 200 radio stations across the country. Uh, Brant is also the author of a number of books. His latest book is about masculinity. If somebody came up to you and said, how do you define manhood? What does it mean? What does God's word have to say about masculinity, about being a man? What would you say? Well, Brant says in his book that it all goes back to the assignment that God gave to Adam in the garden to keep and tend the garden, to be a protector, to be a cultivator, a provider. And we sat down in Nashville last week. We were together, talked about his new book coming out, The Men We Need. It's available for pre-order right now on Amazon. And uh, we're going to hear part two of my conversation with Brant Hansen here on Southern California Live. It, it seems to me that there are two um, that there are two ways that a guy can go wrong in pursuing what God's put in his heart in terms of manhood. One is to to uh, become domineering uh-huh. and controlling right. and hyper-aggressive. Right. I mean, we, we've got the phrase toxic manhood, and yeah. I think that's what it's often pointing to. Yes. The other, maybe the more prominent option, is passivity. Yes. Where a guy says... I'm just going to check out. You take care of everything, and I'll I'll be over here watching ESPN. Yeah. Um, somehow we've got to recognize that both of those options have problems with them, right? Absolutely, they're both toxic. Yeah. The the passivity can be toxic. Like we're not. Uh, th- this is again. Uh, this is why I wrote the book. So I, I can't help can't help but keep pointing back to this idea that the keeper of the garden right gives us a construct for neither one of those things. So you're, you're actively protecting 
cultivating and allowing the vulnerable to flourish. This is why you don't want to make a woman feel threatened because it goes against why you're here. They should feel secure. You should, you should, uh, same thing with, with the, with anyone who I, I mentioned this before, like, okay. So it's the domineering mistake, right? Like the toxic, right. That gives us the me too movement. Yes. And we needed the me too movement because of that. Yeah. Cause a lot of guys are bad actors. Right. right. So, but if we were keepers of the garden, there would be no need for it. Right. And there's, there are women who have reacted to our passivity by saying, I guess I don't really need a man. Well, if you don't, honestly, if the guy's just totally passive, like what is the, what is the point of that? The lack of a vision for what men are supposed to be leaves guys in a lurch, 30 years old, living at home, 35, smoke a little weed, have a part-time job. Like there's no ambition at all for something beautiful and it hurts everybody. But I, I agree with you that passivity is actually a bigger problem, but you know, we've made the, the mistake on the other side so much that there's a reaction to it that's very genuine and needed. Well, when, when it's the hyper-aggressive, the, the, what, what we look at as toxic manhood, it shows up really pro- prominently. Absolutely. In the culture. Yeah. Passivity doesn't show up as, as, because the absence of something is not as loud as right. the presence of something. It just shows up, and you know this too, just trickles through the culture. Right. So there's, there's generational things that happen. Like, and, and you don't, you don't, I mean, you're writing to men, but, but I, I look at this and I say, I think there's a, there's a, another side of this. I think women have a, if, if men are, are, uh, if our besetting sin is to be passive, I think a woman's besetting sin is often to say, I want to be in control. The only way I can be safe is if I'm in control of my life. Yes. And, and this is not to blame them. Right. This is, that is a natural reaction to it. And what's so interesting is in Genesis, to your point, so they both fail, right? They, they fail to love God the way he deserves with in so that's that's sin. That's kata in the in the Hebrew. But what's interesting, even as they both fail, God's reaction is to come into the garden and He says, "Adam, where are you?" So He knows he's, he's, He knows how to call Eve Eve, and He knows how to call Adam Adam. I mean, there's 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 depth to those words, but Adam's response was to blame Eve and blame God for creating Eve. But Adam's all responsible. Because he was supposed to be the keeper of the garden. Right. He didn't protect it. Right. So anything that happens after that, like there's a, there's a burden that's on us. So I, I think you're absolutely right. I understand the cultural reactions to, the, to what men have done and the way we've been. But again, we have not had a picture to look at to say, oh, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. What, as you, you're raising boys. I have a boy. A boy. Yeah. So what are you trying to do purposefully and intentionally to help him embrace what you're talking about in this book? Okay, so I can speak of this retroactively, sort of, because he's 28. Got it. Yeah. Um, but what I did was what I told you, like, I, I realized, I read a book. It was a beautifully written, like almost a Victorian book called Homemaking. It was brilliant, but very, very obscure. But it talked about how everybody in the family has a role. And so that's why I talked to Justice about having a role. Like, you're here to protect. Right. He took that to heart. Again, we didn't have a problem again with that. To his great credit, not mine, I will brag about him. Yeah. But he is a really bright guy. Um, So he went and got his degrees in Russian literature and um, 
in linguistics from Berkeley. And then he was in the Air Force as an intel officer, served wow. in Afghanistan, and his job was to protect people. He was really good at his job, like very decorated, became a captain. Wow. Just finished. Okay. But another thing I did with him was I had the the luxury because I work with Cure hospitals around the world. These are Christian hospitals that help kids that have disabilities that we can fix surgically. I would take him to these hospitals. He was fascinated by surgery. So now he's at Yale in med school huh. and he's planning to be a neurosurgeon for Cure. Russian literature captain in the in Russia. Yeah. So, so this book will tell you exactly how your son could turn out the exact same way. No, like that's all him. He's just been so determined. I don't even care. Honestly, I I do brag about it because of his determination. But if he was, you know, in the, in the typical phrase, like flipping burgers. Yeah. But I respected his character. I don't care. And I told him that. Right. Same thing with my daughter. I don't care. And I made decisions too. I'll tell you this. I did the right thing. I had opportunities for some very lucrative careers that would have required all my time. Mm. And I said no. And we made almost no money. But I had all my afternoons free. And since we homeschooled the kids, I swam with them, took them to the beach every single day. They know their dad. So that was a good move. Out of all the mistakes I've made, right? just just scraping by on, on the finances, but having endless afternoons with these kids was a brilliant move. So, um, and traveling with him intentionally trying to show him stuff. Um, that's, that's what I would recommend to somebody like to, to the extent you can to give your kid, give your son a, a vision. Mm-hmm. That's all you, um, you talked about neurological yes. challenges. Yeah. We've talked about the fact you and I talked, you're on the spectrum. Yes. How does that interact with, the, the idea of what it's supposed to be to be a man. Well, I've always felt like I'm on the outside looking in. And again, I didn't have the best example growing up. A lot of trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think what you do is you study it and you look at it like, well, what is it? You ask these baseline level questions, which I've done in my other books. Like what's really motivating us at the bottom? Mm-hmm. What is that? Like I'm asking like, what, no, what is it? Why isn't anybody saying it? So, I learned by being an observer, right? I love my dad and I have forgiven him. But I was like, as a child observing what was going on, kind of spectating, I know what I'm not going to be like. And that, for for me, I grew up with a pattern thinking, I know what I don't want to do. Bingo. That was it. What I didn't know was what I should do. Right. So I know I'm not going to do this. Right. But my... I, I was a camp counselor when I was in high school and college. So I would spend two weeks with eight kids in my cabin and I was in charge of those kids. I look back on that and go, what a dangerous I thing understand. that was, right? Yes. Yeah. But I I thought being a parent, I, I'm just going to be a camp counselor. As long as they're having fun and yeah. get to bed on time, right. I've done what I needed to do. I knew what I... I didn't want to do, but I didn't have a vision for what I wanted to pour into my kids. One of the uh-huh. things I love about what you've done in the book is you're really mapping out for guys. These six decisions can give you a roadmap yes. for for who you need to be, but also what you need to be modeling so right. that your kids can see that. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And when they when they do like that's that is exactly what I'm trying to do. So I thank you for for noting that. And some of this stuff is hard won. I couldn't have written this maybe fifteen years ago. Why not? 
Um, I don't think I would have had the confidence in some ways. Like, I'm the last person to want to be an expert on something because I, I always doubt my own expertise. So you're you're on the radio regularly. Yeah. I mean, everybody would think confidence and... Oh, well, they. Sh- I mean, if they could hear my show, I think they'll, they'll hear... <laughs> they'll be disabused of yeah. that pretty quickly. <laughs> <laughs> really? Really? No, it's, it's more... It's, there's a vulnerability to it and uh, self-deprecatory approach, which is genuine. Um, but there's some bravery that comes with that. Just there is. Just living life out loud. That's true. And honestly, being on the spectrum, it used to be called Asperger's, a high-functioning autism. And it's my son, too. Uh, but you, you're blunt. And you don't even realize it sometimes. People are like, I can't believe you said that. And it's not necessarily bad, but just, wow, that was really honest or something. And I think that can make for really good radio. Mm-hmm. It's weird because people on the spectrum, they usually have a thing they're they're good at. So obviously for my son, he's got this. He's a neurosurgeon. He's, he's be yeah, a neurosurgeon. I mean, he's got his thing. And for other people, it's it's statistics or it's, you know, it might be you know superhero knowledge or something, whatever. You got, you got your thing. And yours is? I think it's words. Yeah. I think so, too. Yeah, so it's it's weird because people will listen and they'll be like, hey, he's not on spectrum or something. He's, he's too verbal or something. But that's, there's a lot of people with Asperger's that are, that is their thing. Mm-hmm. It, it, both speaking and writing. One of the things I just, this is not a book. Um, when, when guys pick this up and read this, they, they will be engaged oh, by the thanks. style of, of what you're doing because it's not a lecture. It's not didactic. Uh-huh. You're bringing us into the real stuff of life. You write in a very um, a- approachable way. Good. And yet I love the fact that there is substance underneath what you're saying. Thank you. Some guys can be quirky and funny and you go, that was fun, but you walk away and you just had a marshmallow. Right. <laughs> you're right. And, and, and so here true. you walk away and you go, that was, that was quirky and fun, but I need to think, more carefully about what he just said. You know, I appreciate you saying that. My last book, I, what I tried to do literally was, do you remember Dave Barry? Oh, yeah. I'm sure yeah, you do. Yeah. He's a humorist. And I always liked his style. And I was like, if I could just marry Dave Barry with Tim Keller and like Malcolm Gladwell, that would be a nice sweet spot. That's a, that's a pretty good description. I think you're getting there. <laughs> um, do you think... We're seeing guys catch a vision for this in our day. Are you seeing guys? I, or are, I'm, I'm not. I'm seeing a, a major crisis of I'm going the other talking, direction. Yeah, of, of guys that are they're 20, 30, 40 years old that don't have any clue why I have a family. Why? What's the, what's the drive? There's no guys in the church. Force. Absolutely, and young and, and guys just kind of dropping out and getting addicted and addicted to porn or addicted to. to opioids or addicted to just sitting around smoking pot. There's no ambition. Right. Because again, these meaningless things make you feel meaningless. And if no one is putting a vision down in front of you and I don't, I don't see it. Maybe, maybe there are like better books, better takes better. And that's fine. But I'm like, I'll at least take a shot at it. it I, the deconstruction is good. But again, Somebody ought to take a shot at it. And I do think the keeper of the garden thing, that's specifically given to Adam, and it does resonate with guys. Right. So I'm hoping it catches on. If, even if it's not my book, maybe somebody else who does it better or something, like that same thing is desperately needed. Just said, we've got to fix this. Absolutely. It's, it only is an act of mercy. Mm-hmm. It hurt. Not, not just thinking about like what happens to women and children. 
but for the guys themselves to be so listless and directionless, they don't go to college. You know, like the the you know this the ratio at the colleges just continues to expand at sixty forty now. Where are these 60, guys going? 40, yeah, right. Yeah, and, and it's not that everybody needs to go to college. No, not at all. Like you said, a, a high integrity plumber. Fine. God bless him, right? Do it, and but but I don't see that either. Like right. where there's there's a lot of driven guys that have it. If you are, if you listen to this and you're like, well, that I am driven. Like I am, I am, I am a plumber, and I'm doing I'm doing well. Like that's cool. Hopefully, now you can see how your resources and what you have can be targeted to some, something really life giving and beautiful. And, and with that in mind, because you said you had an opportunity, several opportunities to. To make a bunch of money, uh-huh. why didn't you jump on that? Uh, because of the trade-off. So, it, I'll specifically, I I was doing talk radio and it was going pretty good, but I was tired. Um, I was just tired of arguing and blah blah blah. <laughs> and like we had little kids in the house, I'm like I'm not, I don't want to be thinking about today's conflict after right. I get done with a three-hour right. shift. I was on after uh, Rush Limbaugh on a station that I was on, and it was stimulating intellectually, all that. So I went ahead and took the LSAT to go to law school, and thank the Lord I got like top one percent on it. I got all these full ride scholarships and stipends to go yeah. to these really good yeah. law schools. Yeah. And so there was this moment where it was like, okay, here we go. But my lawyer friends were telling me, Brant, once you are out of law school, like you can go to law school for free or whatever. Once you leave, though, you're going to have to work at a firm. You will be home one evening a week. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, then my kids will be. Let's see, 11 and 8. No. No, I can't. I don't get those days back. You don't get that shot again. So I said no, and it kind of hurt the ego, but I took a job that was the exact opposite, which was being a sidekick on a morning show in South Florida. And I worked five or six hours a day, and we made nothing. (laughs) But had time. But you had... Deep inside, you knew what the priority needed. I, had, I knew. I was like, I can't say, I can't say that. Because full-ride scholarship and some pretty significant money on the other side of My that. My ego felt good. At least I get some, I can I can retrieve something from it by bragging about my LSAT score and all that. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. I just, and I, I'm trying to tell guys that you don't get do-overs on this. Right. This is like, I, one of the things I talk about in the book is reality. If you, if you want to know what reality is. Reality is what hits you when you're wrong. That's what Dallas Willard said. Reality is what hits you when you're wrong. So you don't get, you get a reality check later on. I wish I'd spent more time with my kids. Yeah, now it's too late. So that's not a guilt trip. It's just, I'm just telling guys, own your decisions, understand what really matters, ask for wisdom. God will give it to you. And wisdom is free because it tells you the relative value of things. I'm convinced that's that's the best definition of wisdom. Like, this is worth this, but that's worth that. So let me make good decisions so that I don't have these massive regrets later on about how I wasted my life or never knew my kids. And you don't look back on that law school decision and say, boy, the, the struggles were oppressive for us. It was a golden era. It was golden. Halcyon days. Like, it was uh, that. Of all the dumb things I have done, which we could, I could spin on and on. We could do another book. <laughs> <laughs> the dumb things I've done by Brandon Hanson. Um, 
that was that was brilliant. So I'm I'm happy to tell people like, hey, I tried this and it worked. And I'm not like sometimes you learn a lesson because you got it right, not wrong. And that was one of the times I got it right. So I'm thankful for that. We're listening back to a conversation with Brant Hansen, radio host and author of a new book called The Men We Need, God's Purpose for the Manly Man, the Avid Endorsement, Any Man Willing to Show Up. We recorded this conversation last week at the National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Nashville, and we'll hear part three of the interview uh, as your Monday edition of Southern California Live continues. Monday afternoon on KKLN KPRZ. I'm Bob Lapine. We are listening back this afternoon to a conversation I had last week with Brant Hansen, the author and radio host. His new book is called The Men We Need, God's Purpose for the Manly Man, the Avid Indoorsman, or any man willing to show up. The book comes out in two weeks. You can pre-order it now. And uh, we want to hear part three, the conclusion of my conversation with Brant Hansen. Here it is. I, I remember reading in uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People where uh-huh. where Stephen Covey said, imagine you're at your own funeral. Yeah, right, right, right. right? Yeah. And they're going to eulogize you. Yes. What do you wish they would say? Right. Now you have you can make choices today so that that's what they'll say. That is exactly right. And, and C.S. Lewis talked about how it starts with a grumble. Hmm. But if you don't check it, you just become a grumble going on like a machine forever. And he, he also said the best way to acquire a virtue is pretend like you already have it. Huh. And I love that. Yeah, that's because cool. Because it's like you look and go, I can't do this. Well, just pretend like you can. That's And after a while, you'll go, I can do this. That's so good. <laughs> I, I really do think, though, the attention thing, the attention is everything. What yeah. you're what you're attending, like you pay attention. That's a good, like this is your actual currency. Everybody wants your attention, by the way, and they're really good at getting it. Everybody's spending billions of dollars to capture your attention. Mm-hmm. But if you attend to God, like just, just, just bring your mind back to him for a little bit each, you know, during the day. Yes. That's delightful to God apparently, but it's also like, this is shaping who you are, what you're filling your head with. I don't know how to get around that. That's, that's, that is determining who you're becoming. And that's the sixth decision is to take responsibility for your own spiritual life. Yes. And really that's foundational to everything. Cause all the rest of it, if, if we're doing that, with our best intentions, we can, we can fake it till we make it. But. Totally. I'm trying to tell guys too something really encouraging, I hope, which is a lot of times when people think of spiritual, they think emotional. Yeah. That's not biblical. Right. If you don't have an emotional reaction to worship music or church or whatever, like, that's okay. It's not about emotions. So you don't have to feel like you've blown it. God's, God doesn't come through for me. Maybe he doesn't even exist. I don't feel anything. It's not about your feelings. What God is looking for is steadfast loyalty. Mm-hmm. He's looking for obedience. He's looking for loyalty. Like every day, even though I'm a sinner and I am, like to continue to, I'm going to keep engaging with him every day. Well, guess what? For a lot of guys, when they hear that, it's like, I can do that. That I get. Yes. It's not about me having these these experiences of 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 you know, ecstasy or something like, I can't even relate to that. I don't even know what that is. I don't feel that, but, but I can do the loyalty thing. So I'm telling guys like, once you realize that take, now you take responsibility for that. You will change and you'll become more of who you were supposed to be. So you say you don't close your eyes and sway in church. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> 
I might. If I do, somebody has to elbow me to wake me up. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's it's it's about me. Even though I'm a sinner and I do all that, like not not still going to God boldly each day, still doing it. And and that's if there's if if you're talking to a guy who's saying, okay, I want to take responsibility for my spiritual life. That's the starting point is go to God every day. Yeah. Like, in, in the word. He he wants to enjoy you. Right. He wants to partner with you. He picked, if you go to the, like the biblical narrative, he picked Abraham and his family to partner with. I'm right. looking for somebody who gets it. Like, so that's what he's still, I'm convinced. He, he's described as our friend. Yeah. He, he wants to partner with us. It's not sacrilegious to say that. It's amazing. Like, God, you want to be involved in my life. So your work. The stuff that's bothering you, the things you're thinking about, you can bring all of that to him on a walk or whatever. Hash it out. Engage, but don't stop engaging. The thing is, God apparently loves that. That's why he created you, was for exactly that kind of communication. You good praying for the guys who are listening? Totally. Let's do that. Yeah. God, thank you that you love us. And you that's just who you are. And we don't always know what we're doing. As you know, uh, but thank you for being so faithful with us. Help us to be more faithful with you. Help us to turn that corner and just go, you know what, I'm going to keep coming back. This is my best relationship. You're the source of wisdom. Please give us wisdom, all of us guys who are hearing this right now, so that we can be a source of life for all these precious people around us that we're we're called to, to help flourish and cultivate and protect. And God, thank you for partnering with us in that. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks. Awesome. Thank you, man. We've been listening back to a conversation I had a week ago with Brant Hansen in Nashville. Brant is the author of a new book called The Men We Need. I hope you enjoyed. I, I really enjoyed sitting down with him and talking about what's at the heart of authentic masculinity. Earlier this year at our church, we started a, a group of guys getting together, talking about issues, talking about how we live out our lives as protectors, as providers, as men who care for and and take care of others, cultivators. And it's been so good. I, I hope, guys, those of you listening, I hope you'll get a copy of Brandt's book and be thinking about how can I be the man God has called me to be, created me to be, how can I live that out? Again, the book is called The Men We Need by Brant Hansen. It's available uh, for pre-order online, and I uh, hope you'll check it out. Hope you have a great evening, and I hope you can join us back tomorrow at 3 o'clock as we kick it all off again uh, for your Tuesday edition of Southern California Live. We'll see you tomorrow. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.